You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Delving into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. Uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari on the Blaze Radio Network. Have you ever heard of the movie Rudy? You know Rudy? The guy with the dream to play Notre Dame football. 5'9", nothing. With just a dream and a ton of passion and a whole lot of rejection. Somehow, this guy manages to play for Notre Dame football. Well, we've got a guest who is the Rudy for the animation world. His name is Saul Blinkoff, who had a dream to be an animator at Disney. The NBA, if you will, of animation. And through an enormous amount of hard work and rejection, he somehow manages to reach it only to begin his career as a director in Hollywood. For anybody with a vision and a dream, you don't want to miss this interview. Check it out. Delve into current events to uncover relevant wisdom. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari. We've got an amazing guest here today, Saul Blinkoff. Uh, he's director, and I want to talk a little bit about him. And we are very lucky. I know he's a very busy man to have him with us today, we're going to talk to him about his career. Saul started his career as an animator and worked for Walt Disney Studios on some great films that you've heard about, like Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Mulan, and Tarzan. He made his directorial debut in 2000 with the hip action adventure series Spy Groove for MTV. Then he rejoined Disney and directed the films Winnie the Pooh, Springtime with Rue, and Kronk's New Groove, which starred David Spade. He also consulted with Disney films on Tinkerbell, Fox and the Hound, Brother Bear, Cinderella, and Dumbo. He has some high-profile commercials that he's directed for Best Buy, Dunkin' Donuts, ESPN, Subway, Mercedes-Benz, and EA Sports. And has consulted for animation studios internationally in Tel Aviv, Toronto, Seoul, Dublin, and Vancouver. And his most recently, he is directing the hit Disney show, Doc McStuffins, and is currently directing a show with Moonbot Studios for Amazon. Saul's an amazing guy with an amazing career. Saul, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. It's my pleasure, Charlie. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, and it's great to hear from you. And I want to get jump. I want to jump in right away. You've got an amazing list of movies that you are involved in, and I want to sort of start, if you can, from the beginning. You know, sometimes when you get right in the middle of somebody's career, you forget a little bit about how they got there. Some people, like I, I'm li- just re- reading your bio, I'm thinking, wow, this guy was born in Hollywood in the middle of a movie set, and he's been doing it his whole life. <laughs> that is not the case. <laughs> how did you get started? How did this, you know, when you see someone w- w- at your level, people sort of some like, well, you know, they've got it, they've always had it. When did it start from you that you wanted to have a career in Hollywood? When was that first moment, and how did you start your journey? I was 11 years old. I was watching a movie on the big screen. It was Steven Spielberg's E.T. I saw that movie. The movie ended. I looked at my parents and I said, that's what I want to do. I remember my mom saying, what do you want to do? You want to leave planet Earth in a spaceship? I'm like, (laughs) no, mom. 
I want to be a movie maker. I want to make movies. I grew up in Long Island, New York. I didn't know anyone in Hollywood. I didn't even know a director was a career path that a person could take. All I knew, there was something about that movie that I wanted to be a part of. I go to the library the next day. I got books on filmmaking, storyboarding, lenses. I found out that Steven Spielberg used to make movies on the weekends with his sister and his family and people in his neighborhood. So that's what I started doing. I just started making movies every weekend with my brother and my sister, kids in the neighborhood. We made, you know, monster movies, kidnap movies. I tied my sister up to a tree. We made a kidnap movie. And that's it. I just lived, slept, and dreamed about movie making. Wow. And that was really the beginning, yeah. So you're 11 years old, you have this thing, this bug that gets into your head, and you just start doing it. Like you found, it's amazing that even you're saying it, that Spielberg at, at one point wasn't Spielberg, right? He was just a regular guy. Yeah. And he was making movies. Yeah, and exactly. You, you just, you jump in right away and you're a kid, you're 11 years old. What are you, so you, you're in your high school life, you're just basically, you have your school, you, you have your friends and you got your career, your, your, your academic life. And then nights, weekends, you're reading, you're just, and you're just going out there and riffing. Yeah. Now, you know, it's interesting you say high school because it all changed really when I got to high school, my uh, sophomore year in high school, I remember some guy coming up to me, one of my buddies, he said, so what are you going to do when you graduate high school someday? You know, what are you going to do when you grow up? He would say, and I'm like, well, I'm, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be a director. The guy looks at me and says, well, you don't want to do that because if you want to be a director, you're going to have to move out to Hollywood. And Hollywood is filled with weirdos. That's what he said to that, me. That's the advice you got. And he said, you don't want to be a weirdo, do you? And I'm like, well, no. And you know what, Charlie? I gave up on my dream right there because I didn't want to end up in Hollywood as a strange weirdo. By the way, today I do live in Hollywood and my four kids would tell you daddy is a weirdo. Right, right, right. So you've achieved that level of it so far. I did. But, you know, at that point in my life, I was impressionable. So I gave up when I said, you know what, I'm going to be an artist instead. My parents got me this incredible art teacher to come to my house. Every week she would teach me watercolor, painting, charcoal, always drawing from life. And then I saw another movie my junior year that inspired me and changed the rest of my life. And that was the movie, The Little Mermaid. I'm watching this movie on the screen and I realized that's exactly what I want to do. I said to my mom, she goes, what, you you want to fall in love with a fish? <laughs> and I'm like, no, mom, I want to work as an animator at Disney because see, Disney combined my two loves, my love of drawing and my love of filmmaking. That's animation. And plus Disney has a studio in Orlando, Florida. I don't have to go out to Hollywood. I love it. So now there I was, I'm a junior, you know, I'm junior going to my senior year. I know exactly what my goal is. Saul wants to be a Disney animator, except I had one problem. And that is I had no idea how to do it. You know, it was before the internet. Now you just type in Google, oh, I want to be an animator at Disney. What do I have to do? And there'd be, you know, links and lists and blogs and you can call the studio. I didn't know. So my mom takes me on a trip to Disney World and she's walking me around, embarrassing the heck out of me. Thank God that she did. She's embarrassing me. She's walking me around Disney World. She goes over to every single person saying, you know, my son wants to be a Disney animator. What does he have to do? And one lady remembers saying, you know, uh, ma'am, do you want to get on the uh, small, small world boat ride or not? Like on or off, lady, you know? <laughs> and finally, we ended up at this building called the Disney Casting Building. And when you want to work for Disney, you got to go to this Disney Casting Building. So I walk in there. And after an interview, the woman says, look, we don't hire people in Disney animation, but maybe this will help. And she gave me a piece of paper. That piece of paper was the most valuable piece of paper I ever held in my life because that piece of paper was a list of eight art universities that Disney recruits from. You see, for the first time in my life, I had the answer key. I call it the equation. And I meet people all the time, I say, what do you wanna do? And they tell me what they wanna do with conviction. Then I look at them and I say, well, how are you gonna do it? 
And they go, well, I don't know. Well, if you don't know how you're going to do it, guess what? It's not going to happen. You know, right. you go to a great restaurant, you taste a great dessert. You can make it if you have the recipe. And that piece of paper was my recipe. And the equation began, Saul plus go to one of these art schools will equal the dream of becoming a Disney animator. Right. You know, what's interesting about that is that, first of all, I got to say, even hearing this, kudos to your parents. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, how many Jewish boys in Long Island wake up in the morning and want to be an animator or an artist and mom doesn't go, really? This is an art. You mean like a lawyer artist? You mean a doctor <laughs> artist? What are, you right. are you joking? You're a Jewish kid from Long Island. You're not going to be an artist. So maybe right. you'll go into real estate and you'll buy paintings. But the fact that your parents are now supporting your you know, off the grid, if I can say, you know, not yeah. normal dreams just really speaks volumes to them. But it's funny, even the way you said it, which was that before you got the paper, which was the equation, you did something and your, or your parents did something that was completely not within the realm of an equation, right? They, the, th the thought of you as a high school student in Disneyland, knock, kn you know, knocking on the shoulder of some guy trying to do like it's a small world ride and looking for a way in is like so unbelievable with regards to I don't know what I want to do, but I'm not going to sit home and just talk, think about it. I mean, it's true. I mean, look, my mom could even being a supporter of mom, she could have been like, you know what, son, keep drawing. I hope you get your dream someday yeah. for her to say, you know, what, I'm taking you on an airplane from New York, taking you down Disney World in Florida. And we're going to walk around. And we're going to ask someone. I mean, she could have even gotten on the phone and asked. But my mom, when my mom has a goal, look out, <laughs> you know, get yeah. out of her way, you know, and she did it. And I, I my gratitude to my parents. And by the way, throughout my entire career, they've always been that way for me. Amazing. That's unbelievable. It's, yeah. it's, it's a great lesson for everyone listening right now that has children. I just want to begin before we even go even a step further, because I don't want to lose this lesson within this idea of where we want to you know, impose what we think the world is on our own children or family members or spouses, when as opposed to trying to identify what they want or they're good at and be supportive. Because even before we even begin your journey, I, which this is maybe the most important part, I would think maybe, that this just uniqueness of you being able to balance these two different interests as a potential, I want to be an animator, is just so interesting that your parents and that you are able to sort of say, okay, let's try it, which most people don't do. And to go a step further, which is, you said this earlier that, you know, if you want to do something, then you need a, a plan. Well, the truth is, if you want to do something, you got to really want to do it. it means you got to want to do it more than you want to just sit around and pick up the phone. Oh, you yeah. want to do it bad enough to get on an airplane cold and walk around Disneyland. That means you want to do it. You know, I find that when you, when a person has a very strong goal and a strong conviction to achieve something that energizes a person, that was my energy. When I had that goal, there was nothing that would get in my way. I was energized. By the way, when I got to art school the first day, I wasn't the only one that wanted to work at Disney. It was the most unbelievably competitive environment. I remember walking into one guy's room. This is a true story. And I seen this guy's room. He's got Mickey Mouse slippers. I'm like, what kind of guy wears Mickey Mouse slippers? The guy had a Mickey Mouse bedspread. He had every Disney movie poster in the wall. I'm like, it was Disney World in a room. All I had was the Michael Jordan wings poster over my bed. You know, <laughs> and, and now I felt I was intimidated. I'm like, if this is a Disney school and these guys all want it just as much, if not more than I do. I remember looking at this one guy's portfolio. And I'm looking at his, his drawings, and it's drawings of Mickey Mouse, 50 drawings of Mickey Mouse from all different positions. But Charlie, I never drew Mickey Mouse before in my life. I was intimidated. Should I have been drawing cartoon characters? I started getting nervous. My parents brought me this art teacher at home before I got to school, and, and she was teaching me life drawing. And then a week later, 
I'm sitting in this huge auditorium. There's 350 art students. A representative from the Disney company comes to our school. He gets up on stage. He looks at that huge packed room of freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors. He says, how many of you want to be Disney animators someday? Every hand went up. Wow. Every single hand. He goes, maybe four of you will ever do it. That's how competitive it is. And he says, and if you want it, here's what you need. You have to have, and I'm like sitting on the edge of my seat listening. Tattooing this in. I'm I'm tuning in because this comes the answer key. This is the answer key to what do I need for my equation? I remember how I said you have to have that equation. That equation evolves. It builds. Now I'm adding to it. Okay, I got the school. Check. Now he's about to tell me. He says, what you need is you have to get the internship. And in order to get the internship, you need 25 pages of figure drawing and anatomy, all drawings done from life. We don't want to see any drawings of Mickey Mouse. And I was like, oh, all right. Oh, my gosh. Like the guy from Disney just confirmed what my art teacher at home was doing. But now I was pumped. I was like, you know what? I got to become a great figure drawing artist. That's what I have to do. And while some students were signed up for one or two figure drawing classes, I signed up for four figure drawing classes. And whenever I had a free period, I would go to a figure drawing teacher and I'd say, do you mind if I sit in on your class? And they'd say, no problem. And I remember that first week, people were going out partying and they're drinking, they're having a good time. I went to one party and I meet this guy, this guy, Andy, and this guy, Andy is drawing at the party. And I go up to him, I'm like, well, what are you drawing? He's like, I'm just drawing, you know, people at the party. I'm like, is that for a class? He's like, no, I'm drawing because I want to get better. And this guy became my best friend. Wow. And I tell people all the time, you know, who we choose to surround ourselves with in our lives affects our outcome, our success. And it wasn't just that he was a great artist. He was motivated. He was ambitious. He didn't waste time. And because I hung out with him, because he was my best friend, not only was he just a great guy with just great values, but this guy worked hard and was talented. And I could see because I chose to be around this guy, my work got better. Right. That's an amazing concept. And this is something that I think people forget sometimes is the amount of hustle that great people have when nobody knows them. The amount and we, you know, Tim, um, Malcolm Gladwell made this famous in his book, um, Outliers. He spoke about the 10,000 hour rule. And we sort of say, say it and know it. And maybe we look at people that are like world class experts and go, OK, well, they get it. I, I understand why, you know, a guy like, you know, Jordan shoots a shot. But like regular people that are trying to sort of navigate in their world. We don't really got to do that. And that's not really the truth. I mean, I think the story here that you're telling us, which is really the story that you're building, which is unbelievable, which is a guy from Long Island that wasn't given the privileges, if you will, or wasn't, didn't walk in with all the right trimmings, but you had the hustle and the hustle was in the journey, right? It's not the destination. If, if I'm characterizing this, right, I'm just trying to put it together. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. The, the journey is, the, the goal is Disney, but you can't just get there. You got you to gotta be different along the way. You have to transform yourself along the way. And the ability to realize that it's not about the job. It's about the person. And you got to be getting better and better and better and better and better every day. That if you – and tell me if, if I'm wrong because you're in Hollywood. I would bet that when you look at people, the ones that make it, there's always that period of time in, their, in the arc of the story of their life – where they're up against the wall and they got to figure out, do I want this bad enough to when nobody is looking, when I can party, when I can sleep more, when I'm not getting anything for this, no one's going to hand me at the end of the day anything. Do I want this bad enough to really put every ounce of my being into this skill that I'm building? 
That's a hundred percent it. And it really is. It's a discipline. You know, I want to take you back just a little bit before I remember even looking at the school to see if it was the right school for me to go to. Of course, my supportive mom takes me around to the list of all those Disney schools that they recruit from. And she takes me to each one of those schools and I'm looking around and I'm trying to figure out which school I was going to go to. I walked into this one school in Columbus, Ohio, the Columbus College of Art and Design. And I'm looking at the artwork on the walls and the guys touring us around the school and the paintings and the illustrations are unbelievable. And I look at the guy and I say to the guy, you know what? Your seniors are so talented. I can't believe it. He looks at me and says, Saul, that's not our seniors. That's our freshman class. Wow. They're one year older than me. And every single artist in that school is a hundred times better than me. And you know how I felt intimidated, terrified, and scared. And if you go to logic for a second, I remember thinking like, why would I choose to go to a school where I would be the worst one in the school? And then I remembered a story about, and you brought him up, Michael Jordan. <laughs> I had to bring him up. Of course. How could you not? Michael Jordan is in the NBA the first year. A critic comes up to Mike after a game and says, Mike, you may be a scoring machine, but you have no defensive game. Michael Jordan, you know what he could have said to the guy? He could have said, you know how much money I made the last 10 minutes on that court? He could have said to the guy, you're probably wearing my Air Jordan sneakers right now. You probably have my posters up on your wall. Why did he have to listen to one critic? But Michael says, you know what? If one critic is telling me that my defense isn't strong enough, that is the answer key. And Jordan decided to work harder on defense. Next year, one player is named Defensive Player of the Year in the NBA, number 23, Michael Jordan. Yep. And the tool that I always reflect on is this. You see, we all have goals and we all want greatness, but we need to know where we excel. But even more than that, we need to know where we need to work on ourselves. That is the answer key. And that's why I chose to go to that school because I said, if this, if this school produces such amazing artists, it's okay that I'm the worst one because I'm going to get better going to a school like this. And I was scared, but that discipline and that motivation, it got me through those tough times. So how, let's, let's delve into that for a second, because how do you do that? How, do, how does somebody who is intimidated in an environment find that strength to push forward and, and find the wisdom to know, hey, I want this or I can do this versus I'm, out, I'm outmatched and I, I should leave? Because that's, I find that's how the world works, right? The world is a place where most of the time, no one hands you anything. You work for it. And in the working for it, you got to be the best. And when you walk into an environment in order to become the best, you're in an environment where you're not the best. So the feeling of intimidation is usually the beginning of building yourself to greatness. Yeah. So what, are you, what did you draw on when you felt that, that didn't knock you out because, you know, nine out of 10 guys may have been knocked out and been like, I'm going to do the best that I can and really not pull that out. Was it always inside you? What are you drawing on that has you respond to intimidation with strength and not weakness? It's, it comes down to two things. And it's, um, number one is, you know, if you want to if you want to climb a ladder that's 50 feet up, you would have to be an idiot to think that you could just jump up on a window that's 50 feet up. But if you just look at that rung of the ladder that's right in front of you, you only got to step up once. That's it. And mm -hmm. once you step up once mm -hmm. and you make that effort, you go, wow, look at that. I, I just did that. I got higher. I think that happened to me was just taking and putting an effort in and actually seeing, wow, I got a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And that was the drug. I actually saw that in one week, look how much I learned. Look how much I got better when I was in school. And I said, if I could get up the ladder one step 
in one week. Well, in 50 weeks, I can get up 50 steps. And I started to see that. But there was another thing that happened. You know, when you're in art school, in a social setting, you're surrounded by very talented artists. By the way, this goes for Hollywood today. I'm surrounded by great filmmakers, great animators. I can't wake up every day and say, how can I be as successful as Oscar winner Brad Bird? I can't wake up every day and say, how can I be as successful as Steven Spielberg? I need to wake up and ask myself, how can I be as successful as Saul Blinkoff is supposed to be? That's, That's it. When I start to take away the competitiveness of I need to be like him, and I focus on, you know what? I have a different view of life. How can I put my own perspective into my work and do what my unique purpose is? I think it was Margaret Mead. She had this unbelievable quote. I heard she used to say to her kids, she grabbed them by the hands and she say to them, you know what, kids? Each one of you is created unique and special, just like everyone else. Mm, that's great. You hear it? Just yeah. like everyone else. We all have a unique purpose. So that was really... That was a thing for me. But like I said before, it was very competitive. And when I got my portfolio together my sophomore year, I sent it into Disney. And I got a letter back. I remember on Disney stationery, it had the gold leaf Mickey in Boston there. I'm looking at the letter and it says, Saul, thanks for sending us your work. But unfortunately, you didn't make it. I was rejected and I wasn't even discouraged because I'm like, look, I'm just a sophomore. I didn't expect to get in. I took that letter of failure and I put it up over my bed, over my desk. You know, and I'm like, OK, let's keep going. Another year goes by. Me and my buddy Andy were drawing all the time. We're going to the zoo and drawing animals. I remember going to the libraries and getting books on anatomy. I'm drawing my hand before I go to bed at night, my feet. Every, I'm drawing nonstop. Me and my best friend sent our portfolios to Disney. I'm home mid-year in New York with my parents, and I get a call, and it's my buddy Andy. I'm like, hey, Andy, what's up, man? He's like, Saul, did you hear? I'm like, no, did you? He's like, yeah. I'm like, what would you hear? He goes, I got the internship. Oh, wow. I, said, I said, you got it. He's like, yeah, but you didn't hear. I'm like, no, but they could be trying to call me right now. See, we didn't have call waiting back then. So I had to hang up the phone. <laughs> no one touched the phone. Yeah. So I remember like pacing by the phone. My mom walks in. I'm like, mom, not now. Like I need the phone. And all of a sudden it hits me. Wait a minute. My last name begins with the letter B. Andy's last name begins with the letter H. Shouldn't they have called me first? Shouldn't be alphabetical? I can't stand it. I pick up the phone. I called the head of Disney myself. I said, hi, this is Saul Blinkoff. I wanted to find out about the internship. He's like, oh, Saul, I have your name on a list here. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, you didn't make it. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, you didn't make it. I said, well, well what about Andy? He's like, oh, yeah, he made it. You didn't. Oh, my gosh. And, and that was number two point in my life where I gave up. You know why? Because you know where Andy was going? Andy was going to Disney World. Disney World has the greatest slogan for their own company. It's called the happiest place on earth. What a great tagline. Like we all want to be happy, but if you want to be happiest on planet earth, the only place to do it is Disney world. And that's where my buddy Andy's going sunny, beautiful Orlando, Florida, happiest place on earth. And I'm going to Columbus, Ohio, the gray, freezing, depressing, most depressing place on earth. I gave up on my dream. That was it. I said, you know what? Cause this is what, this is, this is when it became real to me. I'm like, you know what? I'm not as good as Andy. I'm not talented. Maybe I don't have it. Maybe I just, you know, a lot of people want things. Maybe I should give up, you know? And then a buddy calls me up and says, Saul, I got tickets to go see a movie. I'm like, I'm really not in the mood, man. But he's like, you love movies. Why would you not want to go see a movie? I'm like, all right, let's go. Of course, he told me the movie was free. And when you're in college, someone offers you free, you take it, right? <clears throat> so I go to the movies. I'm watching this movie and tears are streaming down my face. I am crying because I'm watching a movie about a true story about a guy. Don't tell me it's Rudy. You got it. No joke. It's Rudy? <laughs> yeah, it's Rudy. I don't believe it. How could it not As be? you tell me, so I'm thinking, yeah. this guy's Rudy. He's Rudy. 
I don't believe it. Rudy Rudiger, true story. He's five feet nothing. He doesn't have an a ounce of athletic ability. A hundred and nothing. You know the line. He yep. doesn't have an ounce of athletic ability, and he wants to play football at Notre Dame. If you were the supportive mother to Rudy, if you were Rudy's best friend, you know what you would have told him? Dude, get a new dream. That's what his, that's what I, his parents I, told him in the movie. That's what I told him. Yeah, they, everyone tells him that. And you know oh what Rudy says? Gosh. Oh, yeah, well, well, we'll just see about that. And he tries to get in. Rejected. Tries a second time. Rejected. Tries a third time. Rejected. One more time he tries. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie out there. If you haven't seen the movie yet, you shouldn't listen to the podcast because you got bigger issues on your hands. (laughs) That's right. You should stop. Press pause. Go see Rudy. Spoil away, Sol. And come back. Right. So he he gets in. And I remember watching the movie and I'm, I'm crying because I realized to myself right there, you know, we always think it's the talented person that achieves the dream. You know, if anybody's listening right now, I want you to remember one thing, and that is this. And I remind myself this. An untalented kid from New York achieved his dream. That's what you're going to hear today. This isn't a kid that was grew up in the film business or was talented. No, I'm telling you, I got to school and I was one of the worst. And Andy was 100 times better than me. But man, oh, yeah, I worked hard. Oh, my gosh. And you know what I did then? This is unbelievable. I remember the next day I called up the head of Disney and I asked him, how close was I? He said, Saul, we picked 17 interns from over 4,000 portfolios around the world, you made it to number 20. Wow. I had only missed it by three. I was going to give up. How many times in our lives are we so close to achieving something yeah. and we feel like we're miles away? That was smart to make that call. I would bet you most people would probably never do that, but that's a really smart thing you did was to figure out how close you were to the goal because that's really true in life. Most people are like right there and they just, they just, they're exhausted and they just assume that they can't and they give up and they're just missing everything. But that was a, yeah. a really smart move to pull that off. And then before I let him get off the phone, I asked him a question. I said to him, well, let me ask you this. Why didn't I make it? Oh, he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, why didn't you pick my portfolio? He says to me, Saul, no one has ever asked me that question before. I said, hey, man, I'm trying to make history. You know, he said, why don't you put more perspective in your figure drawing? Put more foreshortening. Instead of being in figure drawing class and always drawing the model from where you're sitting, get up and move around. Well, that was the answer key. That equation I'm building, the guy from Disney's telling me what I need to add to my work. I like that you said that before, Charlie. Yeah, you're right. You have to find out where you are in relation to your goal. Then we need to find out what is preventing us from achieving it. Right. And there's different people we surround ourselves, especially mentors. I had a great mentor in college. I was a figure drawing teacher. I asked him this question. I said to him, let me ask you, you know, what, what else can I do? He looked at me and he said, Saul, can you control whether Disney says yes or no? I said, no. He says, can you control how good any other artist is? I said, no. So he looked at me and said, so what can you control? So I thought about it. I said, well, I can control how good I am as an artist. He's like, no, you can't control that. The only thing you can control is the effort you make. That's it. You think Jordan could control that he become the greatest Shots ball drop. player? No, you can't. Right, exactly. No. He controlled one thing. He took 450 jump shots every day before breakfast. And then my professor said this to me. He says, don't go to bed if you can't say this. Nobody worked harder today than me. If you can't say that, you don't go to bed. I wrote on a piece of paper, Charlie. I put it up over my desk. Nobody worked harder today than me. Wow. I go to figure drawing class the next day. I stand on a stool on a huge wooden box and I'm drawing perspective. And I remember some people in the back of the room going, hey, look at the dork standing up on the box. I didn't care what they said because Disney told me I need to put perspective in my figure drawing. And so I worked harder and harder on my portfolio. And then came the most unbelievable news. 
Beauty and the Beast was nominated for Best Picture Oscar. And if you thought it was competitive to get into Disney before, now it's times 100. Because now Disney makes these little making of Disney movie specials on TV. And there's all these artists around the world who are saying, hey, I can do that. I can do that. Wow. And they're getting flooded with portfolios. So they set up a new system. Here's how it's going to work. You show your portfolio to the head of your school. If they like it, they'll show it to the Disney rep with you that comes to the school. And if he likes it, they'll send it to Florida for another review. So what happens? I get my portfolio together. And this is your last chance? No. I mean, there's no, there's no limit to chances. Right. But you, this is your senior year now. This is my senior year. Oh, it's my man, third. This is so Rudy. I'm telling oh, you, this so is Rudy. Rudy. I know. I'm I know. watching the movie right now through the podcast. Yeah, I have the music. We're bringing you here, Unlocking Greatness. This is literally going to be a script one day. Go on. I'm, I'm at, at the edge of my seats. Your senior so watch year. This. Senior year, third times is a charm. We're trying to get in, right? And the guy from Disney comes to our school. And who is it? The guy is 70 something years old. His name is Bill Matthews, was one of the original animators on Sleeping Beauty. He used to hang out with a guy named Walt Disney. I was terrified. Wow. I was intimidated. Of course. And of course, today he looks at my portfolio first. He grabs my drawings. He's going through the portfolio. He was the coolest guy. I still remember he had this voice like this deep. He was like, Saul, my boy. That's what he right. called me. He my says, lad, my, my son. Yeah, Saul, my son. These drawings are nice. I want to send your portfolio to Florida for further review. Would you like that? I remember him asking me what I liked. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yes, I would yes, like that. I'll take two. So I take my portfolio and I hand it to him. But as I hand him my portfolio, I don't let go. I'm clutched onto it. And so is he. And I'm in a tug of war with a 75-year-old man. He's going back and forth. Saw my boy. What are you doing? I yanked it out of his hand. And I go, Bill, let me ask you a question. He's totally dumbfounded. I'm like, where are you going after this school? He's like, well, I'm going to that art school. Then I'm going there and there. I go, so when do you actually need it in Florida? He's like, well, not for two and a half weeks. Why? I said, because any drawing I do tomorrow has to be better than every single drawing that's in this portfolio. And if I could have two more weeks, I could do better. He said, Saul, no problem. Send it to me. You know how I felt at that moment? Elated. You have to understand, at this moment in my life, this was the first person other than my mom who told me they liked my work. That's (laughs) amazing. And he was the rep from Disney. So I'm walking out of the office. I'm elated and happy. And I turned to him and I asked him one more question. He's like, what is it? I go, you look at all these other art students around the world. He's like, yeah. I'm like, any ideas of what I can do to make my portfolio better in two weeks? He said, Saul, no one has ever asked me that question oh my before. Gosh, this is great. See, even when we have success, easy when we fail to go, you know, what's my, what do I have to work on? But even when we succeed, push people around us to push people around us to get wisdom on what can I do to even get better, yeah. to even get better. Yeah. And so he said to me, why don't you put effects in your portfolio? I'm like, what's that? So when you, you know, when you guys watch movies like Lion King or one of these movies, you have rain, fire, water, shadows. There's a division of animators called effects animators. He's like, why don't you put those drawings into your portfolio? I'm like, thank you. Answer key. You know, I go back to my dorm room. I take my entire portfolio, which I've worked on for hundreds of hours, blood, sweat, and tears. I put it under my bed. I said, it doesn't exist. Can I actually create a new portfolio in two and a half weeks? Charlie, that is exactly what I did. Wow. I remember setting up a pot with water and watching the ripples and doing drawings of effects. And I take that portfolio and I send it to Disney and I wait and I wait. Two months go by and I get a call one day and it's Andy on the phone. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? How's he's life like, in the happiest place of the yeah. earth? <laughs> That's right. And I can hear in his voice. He's like, he's like, um, you know, blink off. They just built this new wing of the animation studio. He says to me, you really deserve to be there. 
I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, wow, thanks, man. And then he hangs up. <laughs> yeah. And then he, uh, he calls me up uh, another time. This is like a, maybe a week later. And he goes, guess what? They just put on that building and that new studio. I'm like, what? He goes, they put up a list of the next interns. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you're on the list. Oh, my gosh. I was like, what? He goes, you're on the list. I'm like, thanks, man. I hang up the phone. I go over to my Lion King soundtrack. I hit play, you know, and at the top of my lungs, I'm singing around the dorm. It's the circle of life <laughs> and it moves us all. I get on the phone with my mom. I'm like, mom, mom. She could hear it in my voice. She's like, what? Did you do it? I was like, no, mom, we did it. She's oh, like, what do you mean we did it? I said, mom, you're the one that took me to Disney World years ago. You're the one that took me to all these art schools. You're the one that was wow. on the phone with me getting me through it. I said, but there's one thing, mom. I'm the one that's going. <laughs> we may have done it together, but I'm the one that's going. And I get on a plane and I get to Disney World, sunny, beautiful Orlando. They drive into the Disney studios. And there's a desk with my name on it. And at that moment, I thought to myself, how did a kid from New York who was not talented end up here? There must be a mistake. And guess what? When I got on the internship, I was definitely the least talented there. I had a lot of hard work to do. And then through that, I found out we were going to work on Pocahontas. That was the first movie I got to work on, like you mentioned. You know what's, you know what's great about this story? And, and I, I want to br- sort of rewind the drop because you said it in a way that was so specific to you, but it's something that I think people have to grapple with. You get all the way to the top now. Right. This is the, the story is building. This is like, you know, at the end of the movie when like, you know, at, you, you think you think the hero's going to win and then he, he drops before he wins. You get to the end of the story and it, the, the arc is building and you, you hand the guy the portfolio. Now, nine point nine 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 guys that have that have already been separated from most of the world that actually put in this effort. So. Now we're like, you got a hundred people, half people will just be intimidated day one, they get out. And then the rest of the people are going to be intimidated when they get rejected. So now you're in that like 1% left. And in that 1%, you get to the end and the guy from Disney who animates with Walt Disney says, good. This is the point where you go, I'm out. I go back to Long Island. I go, I party, I relax, I chill. I've made it. You don't do that. What you do, and I have seen this happen in a bunch of people recently, my research of them, which most people do not know happens, and this is why I want to slow it down. You take the work that was good enough to get to your destination, right? Not the rejection notice, the acceptance notice, right? Because in all likelihood, had you left the guy with your portfolio, you could have said to yourself, I have done work that is worthy of an internship. Then you throw it out and you ask yourself if me, the accepted me, has within himself to now throw out all my material and start from scratch. That, I think, is something that almost nobody in the world does. And if they did, would start to produce incredible work. Most people, if they make it, they use the material that they've made it with. And they don't realize that they've made it, that it's not the material, it's themselves. And the once you've made it, if you will, you now are in a position that if you would start from scratch, everything would be different. But the courage to take away that vested interest. I remember when I was in Columbia, I went to the business school. As soon as I was done with law school, straight to the business school. I'll never forget this. First lesson of the guy in managerial decision-making 101 Columbia Business School, he gives you like exercises and you do all these exercises and at the end he puts it on the board. These are the best and the brightest young business minds. And he says, 
The number one thing that destroys business, the number one mistake that managers make every industry, every year, is that they cannot let go of decisions. Once you make it, you're, it's a part of you. And you throw in bad money, good money after bad, you hold on to things, and the holding on to people that shouldn't be there or calls that you've made is what drives business down. And he shows us on the board that in our exercises, we all think the same way. And this, for anyone who wants to become extraordinary, this one exercise is the ticket. Yeah. The ability to take everything you've worked on and say, I'm going to, I'm different now and I can't even hold on. I'm going to start from scratch. I love that you said that. You know, it's so true. When, when you're drawing, when you're an artist, every artist wants to create a piece of art that moves people. And they look at that art and they sign their name and they go, that is me. That art is how good I am. But what I had realized is that it's not about the drawing. I mean, I teach my kids art all the time. My daughters, I teach them drawing and my daughter will do a drawing and she doesn't like it. She wants to rip it out of the page. I'm like, is it a perfect drawing? No. Is there something redeeming about it? Yes. The goal of every drawing, of every step is to just grow from it and get better. And you know what? I was so high on the drug of getting better each week that when I knew I had two and a half more weeks, it wasn't about the drawings. I love that you said that. It was about like, I could get better. I love that. Right. You know, it's a journey. It's, it's not a journey. the destination. But it's like you said, it's about me growing. It's not about the drawings. It's not about the artwork. You know, I can get better. And so while I may have thrown away the portfolio, I still was standing on all those years of experience that I'd put, put in and invested, you know? That's something that I think if people understood better, they would be different people. I think if people saw themselves as the company, not the company, they're the company, they're the investment. We are worthy of investment, not the project, not the internship, not the job, it's us. And if you invest in yourself, then ups, downs, wins, losses, moments of rejection, moments of, 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 of acceptance, you become a different person every single year, every single epoch of your life. Yeah. So take me through this now, because I, I, I want to make sure that, that we, we, we get everything. So now, you're now an animator for Disney. You're working on the best films, right? And yeah. what's that like in that environment where, <laughs> what's it on the, I mean, what's happening to you as you get thrown, if you will, into this you know, high level NBA, if you will, you basically made the NBA for animators, Yeah, which is amazing if you think about it. Yeah. This is before Pixar existed, before DreamWorks existed. If you wanted a career in animation, the highest point was Disney. And it's exactly, I use that example. It was like the NBA, but you know what? When I got there, I was on the bench. (laughs) Right. And you know what? I was happy to be on the bench because now I had more people I could surround myself with and get better. But it was the greatest time. First of all, Disney animators were all big kids. We all have toys on our desks. I mean, we're pushing each other on chairs down the studio halls. You know, it's just like we're just a bunch of kids. I was 24 years old. I had my first paycheck. I remember holding my paycheck and thinking to myself, wait, you're paying me money to do what I love? How is that possible? Isn't that the best? Uh, Unbelievable. And then working on those films, I remember I was working on Pocahontas. Some guy comes up to me and he says, I got to thank you. I got to thank you so much. I'm like, what? He goes, because I love Fantasia. I'm like, Fantasia, that was made in like the 40s. You know, I'm 24 years old. And I realized that day that, you know what, it wasn't just about what I was doing. I was part of this company that has brought nostalgia and great times to families around the world. And it was much bigger than me. And I love that. That's the the thing I loved about the company. I knew that I was part of something great and special. 
But then this is what happened over the next five, six years, working on movie after movie, something went off at me and something wasn't settled. You see, in the beginning, it was all I wanted to do was draw at Disney. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted to be there. Now, I was asking myself the question, well, what am I drawing at Disney? What are the movies I'm making at Disney? I started to change. I started to say, you know what? I want to be a writer. I want to be a director. It's not just that I'm at Disney. It's what project am I making? Mm -hmm. So I started writing projects. I wrote a short film with another friend of mine about a dreamer, a dreamer character, a little pig that dreams about flying. The name of that pig was Rudy. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Comes full circle. And um, that became my calling card to get my first directing job. And then I got offered a directing job at MTV in New York. And here I'm leaving Disney to go to freezing bitter cold New York. Who would make that call? Why would you come here when you could live there? Right. Because here, here I wanted to direct. I wanted to take the next step. Right. And someone said to me once, sometimes you have to leave the company to become a director and come back. And that's exactly what happened. After we directed MTV's Spy Groove, me and my partner returned to Disney as directors and got to direct the Winnie the Pooh movie. So you moved to New York. How long was this period? That of was for uh, about two and a half years. So you're in Disney five years. And then this is something, by the way, that I see also in people that we have to sort of, I want us to slow down for a second and pick up, which is you, you achieve the success that you're looking for and you now are part of it. It was, wasn't three months. This is five years. And then you grow. So you start to change and you start to say, okay, this is great, but maybe I can go further. And most people that I've spoken to in this area, if they're in a cushy, good job and it's what they wanted to do since they were little kids, they ain't going nowhere. You know, I was a lawyer for many years. I've got a lot of, I always wanted to be a lawyer until I realized that you know, as a lawyer in these big firms, it wasn't what I wanted. But I've got a bunch of friends that I was with in these, you know, big, you know, waspy American, wonderful, you know, corporate firms. And a bunch of them would, would say to me, like, I, I can't leave. This was my dream. And I'm like, but you don't want to be here. They're like, yeah, but I, I, look where I am. Look at my office. Look at my secretary. Look at my my expense account. Like, yeah, OK, fine. I, I won't achieve <laughs> everything that I want in life. But like, look at where I have gotten to. And that's a really gutsy move. Yeah, I mean, I, we set goals for ourselves, but we don't actually realize that those goals can and should evolve and grow and change. I mean, the goals you had when you were eight years old, hopefully those goals will be different. When I was eight years old, I wanted one thing. I wanted candy bars. That's it. <laughs> right. I wanted Milky Ways and Three Musketeers. Hopefully I'm not buying candy bars with my paychecks now. Right. So our, our goals change. So going to MTV was one of the best things that ever happened. Because coming from Disney, where you're at the point, I think they were spending about $98 million, almost $100 million a movie, and the most talented artists in the world. I went to MTV to direct a show where these artists were right out of school. A lot of them had no experience in animation. The budgets were dirt cheap. And it really forced me as a filmmaker to have to be creative in how I was going to achieve my vision with what I had and Mm -hmm. elevate the studio around me. And I grew even more than the studio did because I got to do things that I was never doing at Disney. Right. Here now I started storyboarding. I had never boarded before. I'm trying to do new things. I direct this show for a year. Then a buddy says to me, you know what? Why don't you think about directing commercials? You're a great storyteller. So I'm like, well, I never did it before. But I thought, well, okay, storytelling is storytelling, whether it's 30-second commercial or you know, an 88-minute movie. So I started directing commercials and for a studio called Curious Pictures. The very first commercial was for Mercedes-Benz, huge budget. I never directed a commercial before. Me and my directing partner, I remember talking, we're thinking, how are we going to get this? 
who are we up against to direct this? A major director from Disney, who's not at Disney anymore, who was like a hundred times more successful than we were at Disney. And instead of being intimidated, we said, you know what? We're going to get this. We're going to wow. be, hung- we're going to be hungrier. And we drew out sketches and we pitched it to Mercedes and they loved our vision. And a week later we got the job. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. Directing this major campaign for Mercedes Benz. That was an awesome experience. We got some of our buddies from Disney to help us out on it. It was awesome. And that really propelled us into the commercial directing world. Did that for a couple of years and actually did that for many years while I actually returned to Disney as a director. And returning to Disney as a director, did the Winnie the Pooh movie and Kronk's New Groove, the sequel to that. And through that, it's amazing how the looking back at the experience, the difficult experience at MTV really helped us become successful directors. It's such an amazing thing. It's so hard to realize we're growing when we're struggling. Right. Amazing. I think the idea of, of going to the new area, that to me is the hardest move, but the move that changed your whole career, which is the ability to leave the cocoon and say, I'm really good at this. I've worked really hard for this, but now I'm going to do something totally different. And I found also with people, and I think this is important to, to talk about, which is sometimes when you're in that environment where you lose all of that security, you also gain a lot of opportunity to be entrepreneurial. You, you don't have budgets, but people let you do whatever you want, right? You don't have, when you don't have big budgets, you also don't have a lot of managers and produce, you know, people that are on top of you because there's no big budgets. Yeah. So you have that flexibility. And when you get to a place where you start to identify yourself, not in as a job, but as a skill, and in your case, storytelling versus animation or directing, that gives you that flexibility to be able to, you know, sort of, move on and, 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 and try new stuff. Yeah, exactly. As a storyteller, you, it doesn't matter what computer software you're using. You know, I tell people all the time, they're so focused on learning just how to animate with this computer software. I said, just study animation in general. That way, when the software changes, you can evolve with it. Or you know, I'll meet students and they'll say, well, you know, I know I want to be a storyboard artist. I'm like, well, you have no interest in background painting? None. You have no interest in animation, none. I say, why don't you learn all of those things? Mm-hmm. So that way, when you wake up five years down the line, you realize, wait a minute, I actually do like storyboarding or actually do like background painting. Then you can do it. To be careful to be too narrow, especially right. when we're young, we're building our careers. You know, I want to also mention something. You know, I do hear from people a lot. You know, they, they think that, you know, you live in Hollywood and you have some movie credits under your belt and you're successful. It's that simple. And uh, there's a good friend of mine, he's a writer, and he and I talk about this all the time. There's a reality to this business. There's a reality to any business. As much success as I've had, I've had twice as much failure. That's a fact. I didn't always have like jump from one island to another and go one rung of the ladder. I've gone up, I've gone down. I've lost jobs, I've gained jobs. One of the greatest moments in my career was I spent a year and a half writing a movie, uh, a South Beach musical. I put everything into this. I put thousands of dollars into developing and working with artists. And and I teamed up with an incredible songwriter who's one of my dear friends. Um, And we went to different studios to pitch it. We pitched it to DreamWorks. They passed. We pitched it to Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers says, you know what? We want to make a deal. It's unbelievable. I will never forget that day. I leave Warner Brothers. My agent calls me and says, Warner Brothers wants to make a deal. And we're waiting for those numbers to come in. And they come in with their numbers and they're awesome. They're going to pay. We're going to make all this money and they're going to make this movie. We're going to get our vision up on the screen. A week later, Warner Brothers passed. What do you mean they passed? I couldn't believe it. I'm telling my agent, what do you mean they passed? You see how it always works when you're negotiating a deal is, you know, the studio offers something. You counter offer with your lawyers. Then the studio says, this is where we're going to settle. 
And that's basically where you go, okay, you know, but I want to get a parking spot. You know, you ask for something. Right, you know? right, right. So what happened is they gave their offer. Our team counteroffered, and then they passed. I never heard of that before. So what happened? Our counteroffer was too hard, too difficult for them. It turned them off. They passed. And we'd already pitched it to every other student. We pitched it to Fox. We pitched it everywhere. Then a week later, I get a call back from DreamWorks. A new executive just took over DreamWorks. She won something Latin. Our musical was a Latin musical. Come in and pitch it. So we go in and pitch it. And we go there, and it's the pitch of a lifetime. They loved it. We have no answer, though. I go to the uh, Apple store right after. I buy my first iPhone. I won't forget that day. My iPhone turns on at the Apple store, and the phone rings. It's my agent. Hey, man, what's up? He goes, blink off. They want to make a movie with you. DreamWorks. After Warner Brothers passed two weeks ago, now DreamWorks wants to make the movie. We sign a great deal with DreamWorks. We develop it for a year. If you ask me how I felt on, during those days, elated, amazing. A year later, they passed. They said, you know wow. what? It's just not for us. It didn't work. And I remember driving home. I remember this vividly, driving home from DreamWorks Studios, thinking to myself, I must be an idiot to continue to try to pitch this movie. And by the way, the 50 movies that I've written, the 50 television shows, I shook hands with the head of Disney Studios once, and he said, we're going to make this show. I wrote a show. He said, we're going to make it. Two weeks later, they passed. It just happens. And I think to myself, driving from Burbank back to Beverly Wood, where I live, thinking how many writers and filmmakers drive through these canyon hills every day with failure on their hands? Many more than have Oscars, I assure you. But then I go back to that one moment when I was in art school. And I go, you know what? Nobody worked harder today than me. It's energy. Even when you fail, it's energizing to know, you know what? I'm going to keep going. You brush it off. You keep going. Yeah. And you know what happens? Then I get a call a couple years later. Saul, Disney wants you to direct Doc McStuffins. There comes another hit show. It's ups and it's downs. You just got to keep going. Yeah, and I think the way to do that, and as you're saying, I'm thinking to myself, wow, this is what everybody goes through, at least if you're trying. That's really the truth. If you're lucky, you're going through this. If you're starting your career or you're in your life, you're, you're, if you're not going through ups and downs, if your heart, so to speak, isn't beating, then you're really not, you're, you're, you're not playing hard enough. But I, I think what really gets the ups and the downs in this, and this is something that you have and that people need to fully understand, is that you got to love what you do, or you got to see your life as valuable in itself, not based on the success and the failure that the world has given you. Absolutely. And I think, I think that helps. I, I think that's really the, 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 the differentiating factor that I've seen in people that have been able to go through the enormous amounts of failure. I just saw this, this article with Matt Weiner from Mad Men and the amount of times he failed until someone picked that up. The, this is the, the par for the course that nobody speaks about. The, it, the two times, the, the two to one ratio, the five to one ratio of failures to successes in a world especially as high profile as Hollywood or Wall Street or, you know, I see this with entrepreneurs that we work with. Like they think that every guy that starts, you know, startups is going to get picked up by like, you know, you know, some VC company out of Silicon Valley and they're going to be on the cover of Inc. And they're just hitting walls and walls and walls and walls and walls. And it only really works. If you're able to see your journey as valuable, because if you don't, then failure is a detour. But if you do, then failure is a path. And that one distinction is the difference between guys like yourself and other people that are able to sort of survive failure and the guys that just keep on, they just get 
burnt and burnt. You see people like that? They're like failures just hit at them and hit at them and they and they're, they they just their head swoops a little lower and a little lower and a little lower and they wake up one morning and they just, they're just bitter and they just they, they lose their passion, they lose their ability to really make that difference. Let me ask you this: I know we're coming to an end. You yeah. know, if you've got a a a, a book or a, a a work that you say this is I I I live my life on this. What is that? There's a book. It's uh, it's a book of Jewish wisdom. And it's called The Path of the Just. It was written in the 1700s by one of the greatest Jewish minds who, who ever lived. And he says in the first sentence in this book, and I refer to this book weekly. Weekly, I go back to this book. And after I finish reading this book, I read it again. And when I'm done, I read it again and again and again. Because every time I read it, every year that I go through it, I'm a different person. But this is what he says in the opening of this book. He says a person has to have a foundation and first figure out what it is that they are responsible for. It's an amazing thing. Most people think, what is it that I dream about doing? What is my dream? And he says, his name was Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. He says, you know what we have to first do? Figure out what we're responsible for. And ultimately, I really believe that meaning comes from taking responsibility. It's not just pick a job that you love. It's look for a place where you have the ability to respond. That's really what responsibility is. We have the ability to respond. You want meaning? Try to make it, if you're a filmmaker, make a film that's going to change the world. It's gonna teach children something. You know, you're a writer, write something that's gonna affect injustice, as opposed to just writing something that's just, you know, oh, that was entertaining. So I think that for me is really what I go back to now as a filmmaker. I say, you know what? There's a great power that comes with that, but there's an even greater responsibility. And that's my go-to. Yeah, that's amazing. The ability to be able to shift that thinking from what I want versus what I am, what I need versus what I'm needed for. Last question, and then I'll, I'll let you go. And really appreciate the time. I know that you're a family man. How do you balance a career that is so demanding um, and so focused with really being there and 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 you know being able to sustain a marriage and and being a father as well? So I have parameters that I set up in my life. Okay, so there's parameters. Number one is Friday night. When the sun goes down, my phone gets shut off. My iPad gets shut off. People in my business think I'm crazy. But, you know, I literally do it. I walk into the house. I shut off my phone, shut off my iPad. I don't connect to anything electric, you know. I connect with my family, my right. kids. Oh, but, Daddy, you're home Tuesday night for dinner. What's the difference between Friday night? See, Friday night, my kids know Daddy's not just in the house. Daddy's home. I'm there. Wow. I have parameters. Sunday, family day. When I'm with my family, I actually will leave my phone in the car. I will shut it off. Right. I set parameters. So it's not like I know that, you know, I have my career and I shoehorn my family in around that. No, I balance them both. When I'm at work, I'm focused 110% on that. When I'm with my family, I'm focused 110% on that. I also have to say, I'm also very, very fortunate that I actually married the greatest person in the world for me. <laughs> my wife is amazing, encouraging, supportive. And I'll make um, sure she gets a copy of this interview. So that's oh, yeah, all good. Yeah. So if she ever listens <laughs> to this, but but that's a really important thing. You know, and like you said earlier, you know, my family's very supportive. You have to surround yourself with people that are gonna, you know, elevate you, remind you when you fail that you can succeed, and also they push you. I can tell if I'm not doing my job the way I need to. My wife's like, honey, you could do better at that. Or you, know, you have to surround yourself with that and have a humble attitude that you can grow and always improve. Yeah. 
Saul, this has been amazing. I thank you so much for the time. Really, it's you know you can you, you can you can get this episode. We're going to post it on our website at charlieharari.com. It's also going to be on iTunes. Thank you so much for the time, and we look forward to being in touch again. And I know that your words today will have definitely definitely had an impact on many people that hear it. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Charlie. Keep going. Thanks so much. <laughs> it's more than just events. It's what they mean to your life. This is the Charlie Harari Show with Charlie Harari.